The Lord is good, my brothers and sisters. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, would you open with me once again uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. If, uh, if you didn't bring your own Bibles and would like to be in a Bible, it's page 1014 of the Pew Bibles, or you can follow along with me in your bulletin. Last week, if you were not with us or if you were with us, I considered the first part of the passage that I am about to read once again for us. And in the sermon today in particular, I'm going to focus on the second part. We've, we're in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 21. And in the first part of this, we saw Peter set up the glorious, wonderful salvation that has been brought to us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we turned to verse 13, to the first part of this, chap, of this section, what we saw is Peter saying to us, listen, because this is true, because you've been born again into a living hope with this inheritance, because this is who you are by the work of Jesus Christ then live like that. Be like that. Be like who you are. And he did that through a series of imperatives. There were three that were contained in the first part of this that I'll read once again. The first is to set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The second was a command for us to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. And the third was a command to conduct ourselves with what I described last week as a healthy fear of the Lord who is our judge and also our father during the time of our exile. And now today we get to conclude with the glorious last four verses of this passage. Let me read it for us once again. Give your full attention to this portion of the living and abiding Word of God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Great God in heaven, all of this is from you. Every part of this word, every hope that we have, every bit of faith and truth that we've confessed already today in this service, our very being here together is an act that you have accomplished. And so, Lord, help us to walk in you today. Help us to see and understand this word that you have given to us today. 
it is living, it is abiding. May it do its perfect work in our hearts and minds and lives today. We ask this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, throughout this book, we will see that our brother Peter has much to say to us with respect to the idea of virtue. With apostolic authority, he is going to exhort us in how to live in a way that is good, excellent, noble, honorable, and in a word, how to live in a way that is holy, how to live a holy life. He's given to us the imperatives that we've already seen. He will continue to do that throughout the book as he tells us, these are the ways, these are the things that you do. This is the way you conduct yourself if your life would be holy, if you would have a virtuous life. We're going to get the commands, and we've already gotten them. But he no more than gets the commands out on paper, if you will, then, then he stops and says, listen, you have to understand. You can never, ever, ever, ever divorce these commands from the life and the love of Jesus Christ. So he gets the commands down, the three that we've just listed, and then immediately having laid them on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he wraps us up once again. He wraps us up, he wraps the commands up in the life of Jesus Christ, in the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. He has exhorted us to set our hope, to be holy, to conduct ourselves with fear, and then look at the very first word of verse 18. Conduct ourselves with fear knowing. These are the things you have to know. You have to remember them. You have to cherish them. You have to abide in these things. You have to perceive these things. And I'm saying you have to, but you do is his idea. This great reality. This is what you have to know if you're to do any of these commands that Peter is going to give to us. This is what you have to know. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what you need to know. Before you know anything else and before you try to do anything at all in your life, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, just so you know, in, in saying that phrase, what I've done is I've taken a couple of clauses out of the middle of this passage. If you look at verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, and then we've got the clauses, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Israel knew this was the case. They knew it in the signs, they knew it in the symbols, they knew it in the sacrifices, they knew it in types and in the Passover, all of which were precursors. Israel had some level of understanding of the ransoming work that God had done and was doing on their behalf. Peter says, you know it. You know it in the person of Jesus Christ. You haven't seen him, but you love him. You don't now see him, 
but you believe in him. You were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Now, I love uh, the ESV. We're reading from the English Standard Version uh, today. That's the one that's printed there, and it's the one from which I just read for us. I love the use of the word ransomed here for this passage. It could have just as easily been translated, you were redeemed. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That's the way, if you happen to have a King James Bible in front of you right now, or if you've got an NIV or a New American Standard Bible, redeemed is the translation that they all chose there. But there's something wonderfully visceral about the idea and the word ransom, and I like it. I want to guide us through then this text today by just kind of asking a couple of questions and allowing the text to answer these questions for us. And, and the first question I want to start with is, what does it mean to be ransomed? If we've been ransomed, what does it mean to have been ransomed when we hear the word ransom? I suspect that if I ask, you know, what are the kind of things that pop up into your mind when you hear the word ransom? You'd say, well, maybe kidnapping. Uh, kidnapping is something I think of with respect to ransom, or perhaps ransomware, right? So in kidnapping, the idea there is that someone's going to have to pay some significant sum of money to get the person you love out of captivity, out of whatever bondage, whatever has taken place with that particular person. And the idea of ransomware is, of course, exactly the same. Just apply it to your computer. You're going to need to pay this amount of money before I give you the key to unlock your computer and your information. And fair enough, there's some kinship between those modern ideas and those modern concepts and the biblical concept that is here as well. To redeem or to ransom means to buy back something that has been lost, to release someone or something, property, or a person from bondage by some form of payment. They could be redeemed. They could be uh, bought out of slavery. Perhaps through their poverty, they had had to enslave themselves to another. But a purchase price could be set, and another person could pay that and bring a person out of that poverty out of that slavery, at least, or property may have been forfeited because of the same reason. And the idea of a ransom or the idea of redemption as it would apply to property is that through the payment of the son, the property could be restored back to the person. It could be freed from the one into whom it was uh, lent or given, and then it could be restored to the person to whom it actually belongs. A redeemer then, a redeemer is the person who pays the ransom. And this had concrete application in the day-to-day -day life of the Israelites. Uh, obviously, I'm not just throwing things off the top of my head there. That's what the Scripture instructs with respect to property uh, or poverty or someone who has had to go into slavery as a result of that. One example that many of us may be familiar with is the idea of Ruth and what Boaz does as the nearest relative, as the Redeemer, who is able to raise up out of poverty 
uh, Ruth and Naomi and the property that formerly belonged to the family by the work that he does. So it, it has very concrete application, but one can see pretty easily how ultimately this idea of redemption really describes who God is, right? God is the redeemer and, and what God does. So God is the redeemer. He is the one who ransoms his captive people. He's the one who requires the ransom, and he's the one who provides the ransom for God's people to be delivered. Uh, we could look at various places in Scripture. We could look at Deuteronomy and the law of God to see this kind of acted out. I've chosen Isaiah this morning because it's very clear in Isaiah. In Isaiah 41, we read, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 43, fear not, for I have redeemed you. The Lord's people had gone into bondage, into bondage sometimes in Egypt, into bondage sometimes even within the land itself that God had given to them as foreign powers came and possessed parts of that land and enslaved the people of God. God's people were often then in bondage or were later then in bondage to Babylon itself. God says, I'm your redeemer. I'm the one who buys you out of that. I'm the one who provides the ransom to get you out of the situation in which you have placed yourselves. Now, the second question then would be, what's the cost of our redemption? Peter says, you were ransomed. Well, how much ransom was paid for us? Isaiah, again, anticipates the answer to this. In Isaiah 52, and we were talking about Isaiah 53 just briefly in Sunday school this morning. If you recall Isaiah 53, it's the idea of the suffering servant. Isaiah 52 prepares us for that by asking this question or by giving us this idea. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. In other words, you went into captivity you got yourself in this position of bondage, and it didn't cost a thing. All that you did to get yourself in that place was your sin and your iniquity. Your sin and your iniquity, Israel, has put you, placed you into this place of bondage. You were sold for nothing. No money was paid. It's just your sin that put you there. Now, let me continue the verse. For the Lord says you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Without money. It's not money that's going to get you out of this situation of bondage. And Peter picks up on exactly this idea. Okay, so Peter, when he's writing to what he's writing, he has that verse exactly in mind that I've just said, that principle exactly in mind. And Peter says, you weren't ransomed with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't ransomed with those things. You, weren't ran you were ransomed without money. Why? Because there just wasn't enough money out there to pay the debt that you owe. There's just not enough that's out there. The hole is too deep that each of us have dug with our own sin, with our own rebellion against the Lord, 
It's cut too deep. There's not enough that can get us out of that hole. Our resolve to get out of it won't set us free. You know, all of the commercials that are out there, get, get debt free, uh, get out of that bondage of debt that you're in. Our resolve won't get us out. Getting out of actual financial debt won't get us out of the hole of sin. Doing the best we can won't set us free. Trying really hard won't set us free. A 12-step program to get out of the hole will not be enough ultimately to set us free. Being true to yourself will not get you free. Turning over a new leaf in your life will not get you free. Making a fresh start in life will not be enough to get you free. The bondage is too great for any of that. The scripture says in one of the clearest places and one of the most simple places, the wages of sin is death. The, the, the pit that you've dug by your sin is the pit in which you will lay because the wages of sin is death. So what's the price? How much money? How much money can I give you so that you avoid death? The answer is, there's none. There's no money. There's no money. There's not enough money out there to avoid that. So, scripturally speaking, what do we need for the ransom? A lamb? A goat? A bull, perhaps. Well, we're getting closer to the idea here, right? Because we're certainly getting scriptural in the idea of making a sacrifice. But even Israel understood that ultimately speaking, those things were representations. They weren't the actual thing that could deliver. They were representations of that which actually could deliver. Peter knew. Peter knew. But no lamb, no bull, no goat would be sufficient for him. He knew Jesus. And there was a time when Jesus looked directly at Peter, the other nine, James and John, and he said this to them, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. They had been bickering. They had been talking about, hey, who's going to have the most inheritance in the world to come, in the kingdom? Who's going to have the best spots in the kingdom? And Jesus says, I came to give my life as a ransom for you. Now, here's the reality. Peter didn't understand it at that moment. He couldn't make sense of it. In fact, at other times he would say, Lord, that's not happening. That's not happening, Lord. There's no way you're dying. I might die for you. You won't die for me. And Jesus and Peter, it's not going to work out that way. It's not going to work out. And after the cross, and after the resurrection, and after the ascension to the right hand of his Father, in which Jesus, by his blood, is accepted as a man in the holy of holies in the heavenly places, and after Pentecost, at which the Spirit of God is poured out upon the apostles, Peter got it. Peter got it. Peter was ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. 
and it was precious because it was the beloved, the blood of the beloved Son of God, and it was precious because it was perfect. We saw the requirement back in Exodus 12, and we could read it in other parts of the law of God as well, that if you're going to offer a lamb, it needs to be a perfect lamb. It needs to be a lamb without blemish or without spot. And the blood of Jesus Christ was that of one who had no blemish, no spot upon him, no infection in him, no sin in him at all. It was precious, and then it was precious then because paid the debt. It was the ransom that was required. Death is the ransom. Blood is the ransom. The life of one, either yours or now one for you, is the cost of the redemption. Nothing less, nothing less will get you out of the bondage of sin. And it was accepted. His blood was accepted by the Father as sufficient not only for Christ himself, who had no blemish or no spot in him, but his death was found to be sufficient ransom for all those who would believe in him as well. To all who believe, it is for your sake. The Passover anticipated the ransom price We need the blood of a perfect lamb. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the one. But when Jesus came, John the Baptist looked at him and said, that's it, that's the one. That's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That one right there, Agnes Day. Watch him. And when the blood came from his head, when a crown of thorns was on his head, and when the blood came from his back as he was scourged, and as the blood came from his hands as they were nailed to the cross, and from his feet as they were nailed to the cross, and when they came up to the dead body of our Lord, and they shoved the spear up into the side, and the water and the blood gushed out of his side, it was paid. It was paid in full. That blood for your life, another's life on your behalf. That was the plan. That was the plan before the foundation of the world. That's the idea here, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It isn't something God thought up on the spot. What am I going to do with these people? From before the foundation of the world, It was the plan. It was made manifest right in front of Peter. And it's made manifest for you through the power of the Spirit, working through the Word of God. You don't see Him, but you believe in Him. You don't see Him, but you leave Him. It's secured by the resurrection and the glorification of the Son. From what, then, are we ransomed? The biblical answer to from what we were ransomed is twofold. Most foundationally, it's what I've said thus far. We're ransomed from our bondage to sin and death and to Satan. This is said clearly in a passage like Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption, we've been ransomed, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's That's the ransom. 
That's redemption in its most foundational sense. But that's not all. And, in fact, it's not the focus of what Peter is talking about right here in our text. In verse 18, Peter says this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed not only from sin, death, and Satan, but from a futile life, from a life of futility, from a life of vanity, from meaninglessness, from emptiness. We, we were ransomed from a life that was simply described as chasing after the wind. We were ransomed from a life that truly, had we not been ransomed from it, was exactly like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Didn't matter what you did. It did not matter what you did. You were going down. You're going down with the ship. You're going down in the hole. You've been ransomed from that and all of the way of life that accompanied it. You're ransomed from a vacuous, weightless, purposeless life. And, and if we need to say more than that, we were ransomed from a rebellious life. The life that we decided to live was a life in rebellion against God. Verse 14 makes this clear. It was a life in which we were controlled by our own passions, where we decided what we wanted to do, where we decided that if it felt good, we were going to do it, because that was the only thing that was our God. It was a life in which we were curved in upon ourselves. Peter also describes it in this way as well. The times of your former ignorance. We were ransomed, rescued, redeemed, set free from ignorance. Ignorance. Walking blind in this world with no idea of what the purpose was, with no idea of the God who created us and of the redemption that was purchased for us by Christ. We were ignorant. We didn't know what to do. Peter says, knowing, knowing that you were ransomed. Knowing. See the contrast? You were ignorant. You're no longer ignorant. Knowing you were ransomed from that, from a life without hope. And if we ask what we were ransomed unto, and this will be our last question, the answer is in verse 21 here before us. We're ransomed unto a life of faith and hope in God. We were released out of bondage unto a life of freedom. And in this life of freedom now, we can hear the commands that Peter has given to us because we've been set free from that which held us in check in bondage before. Before, our lives were hopeless. They were hopeless. They were going nowhere. Any hope that you had before you were a believer in Jesus Christ existed as far as your life and no farther. Now Peter says you're not locked in there anymore. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prior 
to the redemption that we had in Christ. We were locked into, we were enslaved into a life of rebellion. Peter says, you're not locked there anymore. You're not enslaved to that sin anymore, so be holy. If you'd have told us to be holy before the redemption of Jesus Christ or without the redemption of Jesus Christ, you'd have been speaking to dead bodies and dead stones. There's no way to be holy. But now Peter says, you're free. You're free. I've set you free from that old way of life. So conduct your lives with an appropriate fear, not a debilitating fear in which you knew that judgment was coming somewhere deep down inside of you, but with an appropriate fear. Why? Because your father's the judge. Your father's the judge. You desire to please your father in this sense in the best way because he judges all things fairly. We have been ransomed. And we're now able to see that this present world is upside down. We're tempted to think. We're tempted to think, woe is us. We Christians in this world, we're scattered, we're exiles. We don't have any influence. We're powerless in this world. It's controlled by people with the gold, people with the silver, people with the big inheritances. It's controlled by people who are influencers in the world, who are living to please themselves. And Peter says, no, no, no matter what it looks like to you right now, that's not the reality. You're chosen. You're ransomed with precious blood. You are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. Not the sons of the Zuckerbergs or the Bezos or the Musks. They're not the ones who are going to inherit the earth. You're going to inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth and the Lord himself. And the Lord himself. And so what Peter then says is knowing that, knowing that you were ransomed from a futile way of life by the precious blood of Christ, knowing that, knowing that that story starts from before the foundation of the world, that that story ends with the glory and the revelation of Jesus Christ and you being caught up into that glory for all eternity, and knowing that those two things are true, then you better know right now that your life it's precious in the sight of the Lord. It's precious in the sight of the Lord. Know that this salvation was accomplished for the sake of you. You who believe, it's for you. And so Peter says, live the new life of a ransomed soul. Now, because that's who you are and you were ransomed from the old way of life. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help us not to strive in our own efforts, but instead help us to trust in you, to look to you for help, to look to you for strength, to rejoice in you, Jesus, for all that you have done. You've freed us from the penalty. You've freed us from the power. Lord, help us to walk in the power of the new life, the Spirit of God inside of us. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, my brother.